0: Uh, because next week is a big week. We always talk about how we want to be a church, we want to be a people who model Jesus. Uh, and what we're going to see today in our text is this insane generosity of Christ. Right? What does it mean for Him to have come and shown up and done what He has done We're in this series called The Justice of Christmas. And so every year we take this opportunity to look at the Advent story, right? We come, it's Christmas season. You can see it by the lights, the trees, and everything that's around. Um, But sometimes, I think in the midst of this, we get so used to the fact, oh yeah, this is Jesus' birthday, right? Like Christ was born this day. We celebrate at least that he was born this day. And we, we really kind of miss the nuances or the impact of what it meant that he showed up. And so this Advent season is meant to be intentional, Advent simply means coming. It means the arrival of. And so we say the advent of Jesus. We talk about the coming of Jesus. The showing up of Jesus. The fact that he in heaven, God, came down to this world in flesh and dwelt among us and lived the life we could never live. The life that we deserve to end in death. He ends in death for himself that we might have life. The reason why he came, we're going to continue to unpack today, maybe in a fresh way. Every night... I sit down with my little boy Finley and we talk, uh, we, you know, we pray and we talk about God a little bit and then we'll open up the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I want to read you a little portion from the start of that, which I think is really important as we look at this Advent story and its importance for us, not just during this season, but on all aspects of life. And so he says this right towards the beginning, he says, there are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture, and this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would Depend. And it's so funny because I'll read this to my son, and we first started reading this text over and over and over to trying to instill in him the importance of the birth of Christ. And I used to ask him, I said, Well, who's the baby? And he'd say, Nene, which is him, that's what he calls himself. He'd say, Nene's the baby. I'd say, No, you're a sinner. i <laughs> would send him to time out. I said, you know, Jesus is the baby in the story. Jesus is the baby. And so every time we read this, he starts going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I love my son's mind and his heart are slowly and constantly during this season thinking about the person and the work of Christ. Because as you leave this place, every time you log onto the internet, every time you turn on your television, most stores you walk by, they're going to be trying to craft for you a different story about what your life should mean right now. Right? That as you turn on the television, you can see ad after ad after ad telling you to purchase and to consume and say, you're the center of this story, right? You're the center of this world. And so get what you can, even the gifts that you give to other people, give it to the people you really like so that you benefit on the other end, right? Give it to those closest to you, those who will benefit you in relationship. And so this season is really about us. And that's the story that the world wants you to believe. And so we constantly have to revisit this story, which points to something better. And it points to the story of this this coming of this baby in flesh, this arrival of God into the world, and it changes absolutely everything. The reason why we entitled this sermon series, The Justice of Christmas, because we wanted to look at this story afresh about how Christ's advent, how his arrival is making everything right again. And so when we talk about the word justice, we see it through the lens of it is the way things ought to be. Like the way things should be. So when Tracy comes up here and starts telling you about all this uh, experiential and systemic and generational poverty, that is not the way things ought to be. It's not the way things should be. It's not the way things were intended to be. But they are the way things are. And Jesus' arrival is meant to flip that script. It's meant to change everything. It is not just the birth of another child. It is a birth of the child with whom the entire cosmic story rests upon. And so I cannot implore our hearts enough to constantly check in during this season. Otherwise, we will be swept away by the tides of our culture. And we'll miss the importance of what this season is. And then the implications of what his arrival means for the church... And so I don't presume that everyone in here is a Christian. If you're not, you're just visiting, you checked it out. I always say this, like someone bribed you with free lunch, and you're like, all right, I like food, right? So you showed up today, that's awesome. And if it's not your story, maybe this doesn't apply at that level, but I would love for you to get a picture of what the church is supposed to look like underneath the banner of Christ as we are to be his main agent for making things the way they ought to be to pursue the way things should be, the way God intended for them to be in the beginning. I think the unfortunate reality is that oftentimes the church finds itself on the sidelines and we kind of look out. Maybe sometimes we speak about the problem, but I don't think we're as involved as we should be. And so we've tried to engage over the peak spool, but we can do more. There are problems and brokenness in our culture and we're going to talk about it really from these economic and power struggle realities today that the church should be more involved in and we're going to. We're going to pursue these things. But I think for too long we've sat a bit on the sidelines. We've kind of done our own thing and we need to engage far more. So has anyone ever watched the show America's funniest home videos. Just by a show of hands, let's get some engagement. Yeah, y'all seen that? So have you ever seen the video, and I was watching some on YouTube, I got in that trap, right, where you click a YouTube and then you just, knit seven hours later, you're like, I'm a loser. And so um, I'm watching America's Funniest Home Videos, and uh, here's what I noticed about so many of the clips. There's a person filming, and then there's a person in pain, right? <laughs> like, and the person filming does nothing but laugh right? And they might say, oh, that sucked, right? Or, wow, that really hurt. Or, are you okay? And they don't set the camera down and actually go hang out with the person or the little boy who tried to jump into a pool. You guys seen that one? So sad. This kid, imagine that you think this is the pool, and so you jump into it, but it's still just concrete, right? And it's hilarious, you know? The kid's alive. Um, Honestly, as I watched these things, I thought, man, what is wrong with that parent who just watched their son do that and he's just laughing and saying, Are you okay? And you watch the next video and it's just another person filming someone usually experiencing pain and not doing really much to help soothe it other than asking a question. What my hope is for today is that we would ask good questions, that we'd find good answers, and that honestly, that we would build in our lives the implications of what it means to ask those questions and have those answers. That we be part of the restorative work of what it meant for Christ to show up. Because he didn't just show up to do just one thing. He didn't just show up just to save us for eternity. But he came and, and did the, all of this work. Lived that life. Came into this world to restore everything that is broken. And this world is meant to be a foreshadow of what is to come. The church is supposed to be at the center of that restorative work. Amen? Yeah? Come on, let's amen if you're... All right. All right. Can't get no help up here, you know. So what we're going to look at today is what does it mean for us to engage in this arena of, of money and wealth and economy and power? And so last week, Anthony kind of jumped into this social justice, and he said sector, and I thought it was a great word. It was a social justice sector, uh, and we're going to address kind of these different ones. So social, last week, today we'll talk about kind of economic and power. Uh, next week, we'll talk racial, uh, racial justice, and then lastly, spiritual justice uh, in our last week of the series. This one today... I think is one of the most kind of hidden and secret. And I think um, in many ways we just live in it because our culture accepts it. And so now the church has accepted it. And not realize how these gaps, how this brokenness, how this separation, how this injustice is a bad mark upon us who say we follow this guy. Because what we need to look at afresh in this story is who Jesus decides to show up to. So so if you're, if you're the king of the world, right, you've created everything. You want to announce your goodness to the world. You don't go talk to specifically and especially the first party we'll talk about. And it doesn't make a lot of sense about the second one he goes to either in light of who he goes to right before then. And so we're going to look at these two different narratives. I'm going to try and work through them pretty quick so we can uh, talk through the implications of what this means for us this morning. And so uh, you're probably, uh, at some level, familiar with some of this. Um, But if you're not, then just pay attention. The last thing I want to say before I get into the text is every once in a while when a new restaurant opens up, um, they they invite a few people to kind of come and check out the restaurant before they do kind of their, their full open right? And, and so they're like, hey, we want you to come taste our food. Uh, we want you to come and kind of just see the ambiance, get the service, get an idea of our culture, what we're trying to do. And so w- when they do that, it's usually like, hey, they kind of invite some important people from the community. So, so like the mayor oftentimes gets to go to the grand openings of new restaurants in our city. Uh, or other distinguished guests get invited to this. What we get a look at in the midst of this is say, okay, so now that the kingdom of God, as Christ has told us, when he arrives, the kingdom Kingdom of God begins and is launched and is inaugurated. And so he gives a pre-glimpse into what the kingdom of God will be about, and he invites specific people much how you could go to that restaurant open and say, man, based on who they invited to this thing, we have a decent idea of what this restaurant is like. We can do the same thing, I think, for the kingdom of God and who Christ shows up to and invites into this early preview of the coming kingdom of God that would be inaugurated at his birth and not fulfilled until eternity. And so let's look at the first narrative here in Luke 2, 8 through 21. We're going to look at the story of an angel showing up to some shepherds. Let's go. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in a field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, which absolutely makes sense. Like if you're just out hanging out in Wheeler Park, and all of a sudden an angel shows up around you, fear makes sense. So if you're just imagine this scene, because oftentimes I think we read the story, and we look at it from this distant perspective. Try and put yourself right now into the shoes of the shepherds. Like, what is happening? This glowing beam, like they're probably thinking aliens, right? That would be my first thought, not aliens. Angels, let's continue. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went away with went went ah and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her hearts, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Okay, so listen, if you've been just a human being for a little while, you, you maybe have heard of this story at some level, or you've seen a nativity scene, and maybe there were some shepherds. There was a dude holding one of those hoop things, which I don't even know what they do, but a hoop thing, right, that goes like like a giant question mark staff thing, and maybe you've seen that. You're like, oh, that must have been a shepherd, right? That's, so they were there. So maybe you have some type of background with this story, but let's just recap. Again, they're hanging in a field, a glowing light shines around them, an angel comes and says, here's what's going on. You know the guy that we've been talking about for years? thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He's here. Now now I imagine that their initial thought to this would be, wow, like God, Messiah here. I'm, I'm thinking their first thought is probably a grown man, well fit, probably rich, probably coming in power, coming in strength and all of the expectations of the Jews of that day. But then they get kind of the kind of pulled back a little bit when they find out, well, no, actually, it's this tiny little baby, completely helpless, and he's lying in a manger. Like, he's literally in a barn, because there was no room for him at the inn, because it was Christmas, and they were booked, right? No? Not good? All right, I tried. Tried for it, shouldn't have done it. It was too clever for you, that's what it was. I only can think of as they had these expectations of what the Savior, what the Messiah would be, that he wouldn't be this, right? Like he, he wouldn't be a helpless baby in a barn. They say, no, that's who he is. And so they say, oh, well, let's, let's go check this out for ourselves. And so they go and they see Mary and Joseph and they see the baby and they realize what they have been told is exactly true and exactly right. So here's what's profound about this story. Because again, if, if, you're, if you're doing this great inauguration of your company or your restaurant, you're inviting in you know, the hot shots of the community, you don't invite the shepherds. Like they're just not high up on the list. They had no social power, no political power, no religious power. They were just honestly, listen, they were a bunch of guys that hung out in a field with sheep all day. I mean, that's just what their life was. They didn't have community. They didn't have a ton of friends. It's not like, hey, let's tell some of these shepherds so that they'll carry this message to the world. Like, that just, that didn't make any sense because they had no friends. They had no one to really go talk to. They couldn't even, listen, the religious elite of the day didn't even consider them followers of Yahweh, followers of God, because they couldn't keep the Sabbath because they were too busy tending for the sheep when other people were practicing the Sabbath. The shepherds were on the whole, poor, outcast, outsider, socially not really in the in crowd, with little to no power to do anything about it. And they get the first invite to come and see. Hey, come and see what I'm doing. Come and see this, this baby boy who is going to change the world, who is going to restore the brokenness that we've lived in for thousands and thousands of years. Now, at first glance, you're like, well, what, what, what does this mean? This is the first moment. At least in the New Testament, we see Christ, we see the heart of Christ, we see the king who is, right, the the king of God's kingdom is Jesus. We see this value of the kingdom that it is not just for those who have it together. It's not just for those who have got their finances dialed in. It's not just for those who've got a really strong five-year plan. It's not for those who just are able to wield their power and exercise that power to be able to convey a message. But indeed, it's for, in this case, the lowest of the low. The people who wouldn't even really, in quote, benefit the kingdom's expansion. We constantly are thinking through, I think, the gospel through a lens of contemporary Western culture, which says, well, what benefit are you to me? What benefit are you to my organization? And if it's low, then you don't get the invite." but the kingdom of God turns that entire script upside down and says, listen, I don't don't care where you come from, I don't care who you are, I don't care what power you seem to have or not have. I don't, last week, right, I don't care socially if you're acceptable or not, you are invited to come and see, come and engage, come and know Jesus. Now we contrast this with the second story. Matthew 2, 1 through 11. Okay, so this narrative comes just after, right? Like these, this narrative seems to communicate something different. So if on one hand we had these people with no power, no wealth, no reason to be invited to the party, you had this other group here that had really every reason to be invited to the party. So if you're not too familiar with Magi, which I imagine most of you are not, right? If you're not too familiar with Magi, these guys were like the smartest of the smart. And because they were so trained, because they were so known, they had a ton of political and spiritual power. Indeed, if you look back through books of antiquity, you would find that these magi oftentimes had the council of the kings. They were writing laws for whole kingdoms. They were people that kings themselves would bow down to. Bow down to. That's who these guys were. So they make total sense. Like, of course, yeah, like, invite these guys in. Because they will be able to go back and spread the news and use their wealth and use their clout and use their power and use their influence to be able to spread this message that the Messiah has arrived. And man, do they intervene in a powerful way to say, hey, yeah, this is the guy. So I I don't know how God does this, this, but I can imagine that the same God who spoke the stars into existence decided, hey, I'm going to take this one, and I'm going to move it, right? And so he takes a star, and I don't know how he spoke it, if he used his hand that was invisible, he just takes this star, and he puts it up in the sky, this was a sign for the Magi, something's going on, let's go to Jerusalem. They go, they talk to Herod, the king. He says, hey, what's going on? And he says, well, I don't know. If you see this baby, there's stories, there's rumors. If you see him, tell him, because I want to come to worship him. And we're going to talk about Herod a little bit next week and how that is just totally not what he was going for, but that's for next week, okay? And so what God does then with this same star is I imagine he takes that same thing and he slowly starts moving it and it comes to rest right above the manger. Now, probably not... Directly above the manger. Stars are very hot, okay? But in a way that communicated, this is the place you go. And so these guys travel, these, these rich, wealthy men, these learned men, to the same barn, to the same place that a lowly, no-power shepherd goes to. Like two ends of the spectrum here. In power, in wealth, in influence, in status, both called in this preview moment to come and see Jesus. I, f- I find this extremely profound as we put a new lens over this reality. Because, because, listen, just just like now, then, I mean, listen, economically, there was incredible brokenness, incredible poverty, incredible wage gap, incredible issues of people dying, not having food, etc., etc., etc. This is not new to us, right? Food shortage is not a new thing, right? It's throughout Scripture. What I find so amazingly profound about this moment is you have. Two people that seemingly don't belong in the same room that are brought together underneath the banner of the arrival of Jesus. What a powerful moment to tell us about the values of the kingdom of God. That it does not matter what you got in your checkbook, and your bank account. It doesn't matter what you got in your status, and your power level, how long, how, how long and how far you've achieved. You were invited to come and see Jesus. I think in this moment we see the restorative desire of the kingdom of God in this economic and in this power sector. Because what we saw all the way in the very beginning, right at the fall of man, as Adam and Eve lived in disobedience to God, we saw structure after structure, sector after sector broken, and this was just one. So I think in his advent, in his arrival, in his coming, he immediately knew, man, I better convey something different. Because this, listen, it's not, it's not just for the poor and the broken. It, it's also for, listen, the affluent and powerful. See, he, he's bringing together these two completely separate people groups. I think to communicate the gospel, the good news, and this kingdom are for all people. What a profound and amazing idea because every kingdom in this world seems to be focused just on the people of that kingdom. This kingdom is open to everyone. Regardless of who you think you are or need to be, you are invited to come and see Jesus. Christ's mere intervention in science, right, to like move stars and have angels break through the supernatural and talk to us, human beings in the story, right, that... Even that just blows my mind. So I had a friend, uh, his name's uh, Patrick Schweiker. He's a good guy, lives out in California now, big surfer guy, and we were uh, working at a surf shop out in um, Orange, no, Ocean City, New Jersey, and uh, he starts telling us his story a little bit. I said, man, what, what's your story? What's your life about? He says, yeah, I you know this, this, and this, and then he gets, um, I don't know how we got there, but he starts telling us his birth story. He says, during his birth, he was born, and you know, back then, right, so uh, they put you in that room, like kind of that, like, it's like an incubator room, there's babies laying everywhere and stuff like that, and they were given shots, vaccines for this kid. And so the mom was kind of like outside the window or whatever, had some place, some way to view what was happening as these injections were going uh, into Patrick. And she says, right, that what she saw was, was from the ceiling descended two angels. From the ceiling, right? She can only see them. They come out of the ceiling. They rest just and hover just above Patrick as they're putting in vaccines in the body. And she says that they say to her, do not allow this next one to go into this child. Right? And so she's like, well, that's weird. And so she runs in. She stops that next vaccine from going into Patrick's body. They come to find out 12 hours later that he would have died on that table if that vaccine was given because he was allergic. And so he tells me this story, right? And I look at him and I say, and you're not a Christian? He says, no. I say, how often do you think God sends two angels from a ceiling to talk to a woman to keep an injection from going into the body of of a boy that could die? He says, probably not too often. I said, you are right. (laughs) And I told him this story. I said, you know what? Let me tell you about another story of an angel showing up, telling people about a baby. We start talking through the gospel and about what the advent meant and how his story is part of that story. And I was like, listen up, dude. Like, if this guy was willing to intervene in that way, you got to knock it off, my friend. Like, there's something you're supposed to be doing that's not what you did yesterday. And he's like, you're right. To this day, dude is one of the most God-fearing men I know. Now, my guess is, is there's not many of us in this room that have that same story. There's probably not many of us who tangibly and physically had our mothers see two angels descend from a ceiling to save our lives when we were kids. But I want to tell you that the arrival of these angels, to tell the story about the arrival of a child is far more profound, far more important for your life than anything else we could ever talk about today. Because the arrival of this kid changed the entire world. And it allowed for us, for once, to be able to catch a glimpse of a kingdom and of a people and of a community that got behind, honestly, just the bullcrap of it all. The lie of culture that says you need to care about, like, what you achieve in order that you would be accepted. That doesn't, listen, and hear me. Like, again, he goes to both. So this isn't a critique on achievement. This isn't a critique on wealth. This isn't a critique on prosperity. This is a critique on the brokenness of those systems. And how they lie to you and they lie to me. So for those, right, who live in this kind of destitute, poor, broken, right, our friends that, uh, that, that um, in the Sunnyside neighborhood, there it is, uh, <laughs> they need to be reminded that their identity is not their income. That their identity is not what they put and have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Their identity is not what they can go and buy this Christmas. Their identity is not what type of power they can wield in the social and political sector of this world. They need to know that and know Christ is painting a better picture for their lives. That they are loved and welcome and invited and joyed in the kingdom of God. And, And then those, listen, that are on the other end of the spectrum, that are influential and powerful and engaged and wealthy in the whole deal. You need to know, they need to know, we need to know that that is not your identity either. That your wealth, the amount of money you have, which you can go and check on your bank account right now, it does not identify you. It's not really yours anyway the amount of status, the way you can climb the ladder in this world to have more influence and power over people in your life and concentric circles outwards, it is not your identity. So stop living for it. The problem is not one group or the other because everyone's invited to the table. The problem is when we get told lies and we live in idolatry in the midst of wherever we're at on this entire spectrum. Christ's advent and arrival reminds us that regardless of wherever you're at this morning in this area, you're loved, you're welcome, and He wants so badly for your identity to just be Him. Instead of the rat race that this world offers... And if you don't believe it from this narrative, right? So if we if if you're thinking, "Oh, well, maybe that's a reach," right? Like so we're just kind of aren't we just kind of reading too much into these two narratives? Are we going too far with this? Well, let's just go to the prime example. And that's just Christ himself. A king, a god, perfect, living in perfect community with every single thing and resource at his disposal. He spoke the world into existence. It's not like he couldn't speak anything he wanted into existence if just like that. And then that guy, that king, decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go put myself in this tiny little baby where I have no power. I have no wealth. I have no influence. And I'm going to do it so that people would see a better way. I think what he does in the incarnation of Jesus, in the advent and the coming of Christ, is he constantly reminds us there is one thing in this world, only one thing in this world worth living for, and that's Jesus. To take on his identity. Because in that confidence in that understanding. Just hear me, like if, we, this, if you could fully, hear me, fully live in this reality that all the other stuff pales in comparison to what you know about God, how does that affect your day-to-day life? Like, Do you continue to have to strive for these things to prove to the person to the left and right of you that you're better than you are? Or is your contentment and your identity founded in Him? Now, the reality is, is, as we wrap up here, there are some serious social implications to this as well, and I'd be remiss if we didn't spend some time on them. Because the reality of our culture is that from an economic and a power standpoint, our culture is very broken. Because we do subject, right? So if, if you're on, more on this side of the spectrum, we tend to subject that side of the spectrum to kind of disdain or at best apathy. Sometimes, in, in many circles, right, if you're on this side of the spectrum, you tend to look at that side and you have judgment and you have pride and you have different, different idols, different sin, different brokenness. And the church is supposed to be at the center of the restorative work in this world, in these areas. And so just a few applications that I think would be good for us. One... Um, We should all see that everything we have belongs to the king. What I love about the Magi story is that they arrive and they are generous and they give away. And when the, the, the shepherds arrive, they too are generous not with stuff. They just give counsel and they give praise and they give glory. They give what they can. So at the end of the day, listen, we are called to be a generous people who think of others who give. This is not a situation where, notice, notice the narrative. This is not a story where the Magi showed up and said, Hey, there you are, uh, shepherds who have nothing. Let me just give you a bunch of stuff. No, that's not what happens. What they do is they give that stuff to the king. They give that stuff to Christ. And I think as we think through our lives, every resource, everything you have needs to be given and understood as a resource and a stewarded resource of the king of this world. And so as he calls you to, listen, give it all over to him, sometimes he's going to ask you to reallocate that stuff to different people. He's going to call you to use your resource and to use your power to engage well with those who have not. He's going to call you to say, God, this belongs to you. How do you want me to use it in such a way as to be part of the restorative work of your gospel story in this world? And those are questions that we need to ask. We need to nuance. We need to find better answers to because just given handouts, listen, that does not help. And I'm not trying to critique at every level, just this reactionary help. We need to get on the front end and say, what does it mean for those of us who have power, who have influence, who have resource and opportunity to use those well underneath the submission of God to bless those in this world? Because certainly, yes, all are invited to the table, but some feel that they can't get there. So how do we use what we have? And steward it well and see it as all belonging to the king so that we can bring about restorative work in our culture in these sectors and it takes a lot of jesus it takes a lot of answering or asking tough questions and coming up with really good answers and these are things we're trying to press into here. what does it mean for us to love the peak school well like, how, how do we engage there? And honestly, the best thing we can ever do is ask Tracy, what's it actually something we can do that would be helpful? And hopefully we've been doing that. I think we've been doing that. Anthony, we've been doing that? We've been doing that. You see something you want to care for, you want to bless, you want to use what you have to be able to care for, to be able to be part of this restorative work, you better ask, start asking some good questions. Hey, what do you need? What would actually be helpful for you? Is it my time? Is is it just a check? Is it resources? Is it whatever? You know, we're all invited, but we're also all invited to be part of this restorative work, and I think that's one of the big steps. Um, We need to be uh, spending time with people in different socioeconomic places. So if you only hang out with people who have and make the same amount of money you do and live the exact same kind of lifestyle that you live, you are missing out incredibly in this experience of what people offer each other underneath the banner of God. And I think you are skirting this incredible opportunity we have to be part of this restorative work. And honestly, so just kind of think through your life. And and again, if you're a Christian, we're part of this. We need to engage with those at every level of the economic and power and status realities of our world. To bring about unity, to bring about strength, and to bring about His kingdom here in this world. Okay. Next one, uh, we need to uh, we need to think through all of life. We need to think through politics. We need to think through work and vocation. We need to think through neighborhoods. We need to think through our culture at general through a restorative lens. Like how do how do we be part of this work? How do we begin to have eyes that see this brokenness and say, well, we, we need to be involved. We need to be engaged. We need to be part of the solutions that are part of the problem. But honestly, that takes a switch. It's not just something as easy as like, well, I'm just gonna start doing that. I encourage you to actually and actively begin to think through and view your life through a different lens than most of us are using today. And think through it through the lens of I think what Christ was thinking through when he showed up in this world to change everything to restore everything, to bring everything underneath the banner of himself, to take and call all people to himself. How do we live that type of life? My wife's uncle, um, part of his testimony was he was just trying to figure out, you know, who's this Jesus guy? One of the things that he said was, as he began to look at the king, he's uh, South African, kind of British South African, and so he looked at the king and queen of England who were devout believers. And he asked himself, he said, who is this man that kings bow down to? And that was it. Like that was just kind of this profound thought that came through his mind. Who, who, who is this guy that, that even the richest of the rich, the most powerful, the powerful, even they get down on their knees and worship this person? And so as we think through this Advent season, As we try and navigate what does it mean for us to do this story well, make this story part of our lives and not just kind of, you know, let it float by like it can every year. I really just want us to ask that question of ourselves. Who is this this man that even those who have all the power and all the money and everything that we think this world is telling you you should go for? Who is this man that even those people bow down to? and worship, and celebrate, and live for. And once we've answered, I think, this greater question of just who is Christ? What does it mean for him to come? I think the implications then in these different sectors of life begin to make sense. Because the brokenness of this world is crazy evident in these these economic and these power realities. And the church is supposed to be at the center of that restorative work. Right? Amen? I don't believe you. Do you think that? If you don't think it, actually, don't say it. Okay. Wow. Fair enough. Are we going to start over? Luke 2. Y'all think I'm kidding? I'm kidding. All think i am kidding i am kidding I am constantly, I could be impressed, I think, by, by people that I see doing this stuff really well. Here in our church, I'm constantly impressed by the word of God that the church as we know it needs to be shaken up a little bit. Like like we, We need to kind of just have a better vision than the vision we're living for right now. And honestly, we've been saying it for a little bit now. I feel like, you know, Anthony and I get up here, and I want you to know, like, I'm working at this with you. And I know it's not easy. And I know it's like this incredibly tall task. And even like we had what, I had 40 minutes to talk about economic and, and, and power struggle within our culture. And I didn't touch on nearly enough that I need to. But these are, these are questions and these are things that we have to engage. But listen, we'll never engage them until the church realizes that she's supposed to be far more than she is. That's not like a shaming thing. That's just the reality of what we, need, we see in Scripture. And I just want to land with this. The gospel is sufficient for us to to take on that weight. Like, we don't need anything else. The gospel is powerful enough, it's good enough, it's sufficient enough that we can actually give this a fighting chance. But we need to believe it. It's so a part of this series, this is somewhat of a rallying cry as we end 2016 and look towards 2017 and say, like, all right, wh- what are we going to do here? Like, wh- why, God, did you call us to plant this church four years ago in Flagstaff? Honestly, listen, it, and maybe I like this moment. It's great to see 250, 300 people in a room. We get to talk and laugh and hear the Bible. That's amazing. But, here, like, if we just did this for this, then we shouldn't have done it. And so there's holes in either what it is that I think we believe about the gospel or there's holes in the application of that gospel. Wherever those are, let's identify, let's just be willing to be humble in that, willing to be honest in that, and then ask good questions and pursue what it means for us to be that people. Can I get an amen there at least? Oh man, there we go. And I'm really excited to do this with you. Because I get how difficult it is. But Jesus' life His death and His resurrection, the gospel of Christ is sufficient and good enough for us to get after Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace to us this morning. Lord, I pray, even as we've, in so many ways, I feel skimmed the surface, and we will just throughout this series, I pray, God, that You would motivate us, though, as a people to care deeply about the things You care about, I think you made things evident about what you cared about when you showed up. Thank you that you did not just call one person or another. It wasn't just from one class or the other. God, it wasn't just reserved for one people group or community. I thank you, God, that as we look out into this room, as we look out into this world that in all the ways that our culture wouldn't say you're in, you're not in, you're in, you're not in and set up these divisions and these kind of, these things Lord that cause blockage between groups that we would see God that you tore that away that when you died on the cross God that there was no longer a barrier between you and anyone outside of our sin which you took care, care of on the cross and so Lord I pray for us that know you God that we would Embrace the gospel far more than we ever have What you accomplished on our behalf on that cross What does it mean for us as we And try and live in the reality of that story As we pursue the things we think that that you pursue God I pray for those who are here God that that don't know you Have never kind of stepped into A knowledge and a relationship with you God That they would see Jesus afresh this morning as more than just a, a good teacher, as more than just, I don't know, this good guy who did some good stuff, or even more as just someone maybe that never existed. And God, that you would show them your reality, reveal to them, God, even if it be angels from the ceiling or lights surrounding us, got to be stars moving, that you would just reveal yourself in power. You'd encounter people here and make yourself undeniable and call them to say, come and see me. Lord, would you be the God of salvation, the God of restoration, and the God that equips us to be part of it? In Jesus' name, amen.